Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning, good morning everybody, I'm Pastor Chris, and uh, hey, welcome everyone to the uh, kickoff uh, of At The Movies, glad that you're here, glad that you're watching online, thank you for tuning in, and like Scott said, even those folks who are watching online, make sure you uh, leave a comment, and uh, we have a gift for you, or a drawing for you guys as well to include you. Man, I love this series, it has definitely uh, become a favorite sermon series tradition over the years here at Coastal, uh, we actually originally did this series back in 2008, and then we brought it back in 2011, and we have done it every summer since. Now, the six different movies that we are going to use in this series, don't worry, okay? They are all just uh, hooks, uh, springboards uh, to, uh, to have some fun and uh, to get the conversation uh, started, so to speak. And as always at Coastal, we're going to do what we do. Uh, we're going to dig into God's Word. We're going to proclaim truth, and uh, we're going to point people to Jesus. I am not preaching from the movies themselves. We don't do that. Uh, but we just use them as a way to, um, you know, to bring out some themes, to bring out some ideas, and then to point people to God's Word. So, Let's get started. How many of you have actually seen this movie, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? Okay, I, that's kind of my guess. Some of you, not, not a lot of you, but raise your hand if you've seen any of the Marvel Comics movies, right? Probably all of you, because this is like the 28th installment, okay, of the Marvel Comics uh, uh, films. This is, uh, I saw this movie this past week. You know, I, th- I thought it was a pretty good flick. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Um, it is the sequel, of course, uh, to Doctor Strange, the movie that came out in 2016. Uh, this film has grossed, you ready for this? Over $900 million. I mean, it's going to surpass, they, you know, they think over a billion dollars. So somebody has seen it, if not you. Uh, right now, it is the highest grossing film of two, uh, 2022 so far. And I say so far because it looks like, anybody know what movie's probably going to surpass it this year? <laughs> there you go. How many of you saw Top Gun? That's what I thought. Okay, so uh, we, that is one of the movies we'll be using this summer. Now, uh, there are a lot of different directions, a lot of different themes I could pull out of this movie today. Uh, like uh, most superhero movies, you know, we could talk about teamwork. You know, it usually takes a team of superheroes, all of them working together, you know, for the common good to defeat a common enemy. Uh, probably the biggest theme of, like, most superhero movies is this idea of good versus evil. And I could go in that direction, and we've, we've gone in that direction before. So without giving too much of the movie away, way. So I got to kind of use that as a little disclaimer. Um, In the world of the multiverse, okay, so you got to wrap your heads around what the multiverse is. But anyway, you quickly discover, and they kind of mention it in the trailer a little bit, that sometimes, sometimes Dr. Strange is uh, fighting against himself a little bit, you know, that he becomes a little bit of his own worst enemy. And so, and then in the movie, we're also introduced to a new character, a teenage girl named America Chavez, and she has a special power, okay? So think about this. She has, she's got a gift, a special gift that everybody wants. But here's the problem. Um, she can't control her gift. And if the gift is taken from her, she dies, Okay, and then kind of another thing that's interesting in the movie to me is that I'll just, 
again, without giving too much of it away, in the end, I'll just say that somebody dies from a temple crashing down on top of them, okay? So think about all this for a second. A gifted individual with special powers who can be their own worst enemy and a temple falls down and crushes somebody uh, in the film. So if you, and then if you took that person's special powers away, they die. I mean, does that sound familiar to anybody about, I mean, some story from the Bible? So I don't know about you, but all of it reminds me of Samson, of Samson from the Bible, right? So that's what I want us to talk about today. That's kind of the direction I'm going, well, that is the direction I'm going. That's who I want us to talk about. So Samson, if you're not familiar uh, with his story, his, you know, you've all heard of Samsonite luggage, right, because it's strong and durable. Well, Samson's feats are strengths of feet, you know, feats of strength, they're, they're legendary. But his flaws proved to be fatal. His two greatest weaknesses are his anger and lust, revenge and romance. He is extremely gifted, but in many ways he's not very godly at all. He, he's very, very strong on the outside, but on the inside he has very little control. Now, I believe that there's a little bit of Samson in all of us and a whole lot of Samson in most of us. Now, one of the things we learn from Samson's life, and you'll see this in his story, is that sin, write this down, always takes us further than we want to go. Sin always takes us further than we want to go. Your sin will find you out. You will reap what you sow, but it'll take you further than you ever dreamed. So we're going to dig in. We're looking at Judges, if you have your Bible, chapters 13 through 16, an overview of Samson's life, and we're going to make some application to our own. Judges 13, 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, if you've been reading through the Bible with us together here at Coastal, you know that the Philistines have always been a thorn in the side of the Israelites, right? They're a very warlike people. They've been an enemy of, of Israel for a long time. But it's interesting. This is the one place in the book of Judges where we don't read that the people of God are crying out to God to deliver them from their oppressors. Now, the strategy, the game plan of the Philistines was pretty simple. So they would conquer their enemies by assimilating them through intermarriage, and then they just kind of watched with great enthusiasm and pleasure as those people, the, especially the religion of God's people, began to disappear as they kind of blended in to the culture around them. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds very familiar to me. You see, I, I actually happen to believe that the church today, in our culture, and a lot of Christians today, are in danger of losing their impact and their influence because we have become so assimilated into the culture around us. So, for this reason, God has to break through. And so he appears to a, a couple, a husband and a wife, and he tells them that they're going to have a son, and this son will deliver Israel from the Philistines. Verse 5 tells us that he's to be a Nazarite, 
And uh, in Numbers chapter 6, it describes uh, what a Nazarite is and the vows and the commitments uh, that a a Nazarite must keep. And there's three main ones. Uh, First of all, they have to avoid any contact whatsoever with grapes or the drinking of wine. Now, I could get you to raise your hand. How many of you are already disqualified there from ever being a Nazarite, okay? My son's opening up a wine bar. So I think, you know, anyway. um, And then the second commitment is never touch a dead body of any kind. You know, human or animal, no dead bodies. And then let your hair grow and never cut it. Now, I want you to observe a key phrase, though, in Judges 13.5. It says, Samson will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Now, as we go through the story, we'll discover really quickly that since Samson never really dealt with his own weaknesses, with his own fatal flaws, that he only begins to deliver Israel. Notice also in verse 23, it's, or 25, it says, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So this guy, I mean, listen to me, he's set apart, he is stirred by the Spirit of God, he has everything that he needed. He is both energized and equipped. And listen, if, that, if, if you are a believer today, that describes you. You have been set apart, you've been stirred by the Spirit of God, you have everything that you need. Now, compared to other biblical heroes, though, in the Old Testament, Samson has almost like he has got more than anybody else. And yet, he lets it all slip away. He lets it all slip away. Chapter 14 uh, begins to show us some of the just stupid, stupid mistakes and steps that Samson takes on this downward spiral. Let's, Let's take a look at them. Number one, he went to the wrong place. He went to the wrong place. Verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah. Stop there, and we'll come back to that verse. Timnah, that's Philistine territory. That's pagan territory. It's very close to Samson's village, just several miles. But this really begins Samson's decline, the decline of his spiritual life. His, His very first public act, he leaves the land of God's people. He leaves Israel for the land of the Philistines. So to put it bluntly, Samson leaves God's people, and now he's headed south spiritually. He is drifting away. Number two, he's looking for the wrong thing, the wrong thing. Notice the rest of verse one. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. Now, when he returns home, verse two, basically he says, I have seen a Philistine woman to his parents. Now, his parents try to warn him about straying away from God's plan and God's people, and Samson boldly declares to his parents, no, go get her for me. She is the one. This is it. In fact, the phrase in verse 3 literally reads, she is right in my eyes. Right in my eyes. Now, I think the Bible there is telling us something crucial about Samson. This is a dude who is motivated purely by physical appearance. You know, he sees this woman, she looks great, and now he wants her. And he wants her for his wife. So he's looking, for, he's, he's looking in the wrong place for the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. By the way, as we make this progression downward, I'm wondering if you might see yourself in these steps, that you can relate to this. Number three, 
he rejected godly counsel. He rejected godly counsel. This, this downward spiral continues. So, so far, it's almost like, well, okay, Samson's making some mistakes, but maybe they're not fatal necessarily. So now this is beginning to change, though. You see, by blowing off his parents, he is also rejecting what God said about marrying somebody from a pagan nation. And the reason had always been clear. If you marry an unbeliever, it is more than likely that they are going to turn you away from God or help you drift away from God. Mistake number four. He continued a wrong relationship. He continued a wrong relationship. Verse 7 says, then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Now get this, evidently he'd never met her before. But that doesn't matter because Samson is hormone-driven, not Holy Spirit-driven. Okay? Number five. He compromised his commitment. He compromised his commitment. Now, the story takes kind of an interesting turn here. Samson's traveling with his parents to make some wedding arrangements, and uh, he's by himself, and he encounters a lion. Now, again, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He tears the lion apart with his bare hands. Verse 6, he told neither his father or his mother what he would done. Now, that's kind of interesting, right? I mean, if you, I mean, you would think that a son would be glad to tell everybody about this mighty deed that you've done. But he doesn't tell his parents because two things. One, it happened in a vineyard, right? He's not supposed to drink wine. He's not supposed to have anything to do with grapes. And then he kills the lion, which means he touched a dead corpse. So again, these are just, you know, commitments that he had kept all of his life and now he's beginning to break. Down in verse 9, you see that uh, Samson's traveling alone, and uh, he actually stops by that vineyard to kind of revisit the scene of his great, you know, exploit, and uh, he finds that bees, bees have made a honeycomb uh, inside this dried out now carcass of the lion. So he scoops in, and he gets some honey and he just begins to eat it as he walks along. So once again, what's he doing? He's con- he comes in contact with a dead body or, or, or a dead you know, carcass. But that's not all. According to verse 10, Samson made a feast, it says, as was customary for young men. Now that's a nice way to say because the Hebrew word here means drunken bash. Okay, so this is like a bachelor party. You know, they've gone to Vegas. They're partying, you know. And uh, so... Samson, you've got to see this. Samson really is this picture of somebody who is beginning to bail on his commitments to God. Maybe you've been there and done that. You've been on a downward spiral. Now, what's interesting, though, is that still at this point, if you just kind of look at him from the outside, you know, the, his outward appearances, you know, and you would see the long hair. Now, automatically, see, in that day, they would have known, oh, he's a Nazarite. He's, he's kept this vow. So again, on outward appearances, he appears to be dedicated to God, but his lifestyle, his heart, tells a different story. And I think we can all relate to that because it's so easy to show up here in church, dress up, look all pretty, but we know that our lifestyle and our heart tells a different story. Number six, he ignored his weaknesses. So now we come to the wedding. He ignored his weaknesses. We pick up the story in verse 11, and uh, on day one of this seven-day you know, wedding feast, 
Samson uh, begins by offering a riddle to the 30 Philistine groomsmen. Big bridal party, okay? And it was kind of a, a friendly battle of wits that was pretty common in those days. The riddle involved the honey that Samson had taken out of the carcass of the lion. So here's the riddle, verse 14. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. So, you know, picture this. Samson's just walking with pride and swagger, and he offers a wager, a bet, along with the riddle. And so if the groomsmen solve the riddle in seven days, Samson is going to buy all of them, get all of them brand new clothes, get, get them a new, new wardrobe, okay? So by the fourth day, though, the groomsmen are getting nervous, and so they approach Samson's uh, bride-to-be, and they make an offer to her she cannot refuse. Verse 15, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Wow. Okay, the, again, these are not nice people. Now, the word coax, coax your husband, it actually means to seduce a simple-minded person. And the Philistines are going to say the same thing um, to Delilah some 20 years later. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So Samson can be seduced because he is all hormones, he's all outward appearances, and no brain. Okay, here's, here's, the, here's the sad part, though. And this is really one of the things that I want you to catch today. Samson's weakness, his fatal flaws, they are apparent to everybody around him. But not to him. Not to him. I mean, he never sees his weaknesses, and he refuses to admit that he even has any. He's just a, you know, strong dude. Now, remember this. And this is not a blank on your outline, but you might want to write this one down. It is, it is your refusal to deal with your weaknesses to deal with your fatal flaws, your refusal to deal with that, that most often will get you into trouble. See, most of us are like Samson. We'll do anything we can to avoid dealing with the real issues in our life, our weaknesses, our flaws. Number seven, he'd rather take revenge than repent. Revenge than repent. The groomsmen know the secret of the riddle now. They come to Samson at the last moment to, with the answer, and now since Samson has lost the bet, he's got to provide Armani suits for everybody, you know. And so in order to pay off the debt, listen to this, he kills 30 Philistines. I mean, he's just angry because in his mind, he's been humiliated, right? You know, and, and again, those feelings of, uh, of romance, you know, are now replaced with revenge and rage. And so he leaves his bride standing at the altar, uh, and chapter 14 ends with, you ready for this? Her dad giving her in marriage to the best man. I mean, his whole story, it really does sound like Jerry Springer or reality television. It's crazy. And so we come back to chapter 15, and we see now, you know, Samson wants his wife back. So a few months have passed. Samson takes a young goat as a gift for his bride. You might bring, you know, flowers or candy or jewelry, but he gift wraps a goat. And uh, so when he arrives, though, his father, or, you know, what would have been, or her father, you know, what would have been his father-in-law, won't let him see her because now she's already married to somebody else. And 
Samson's furious. In verse 3, he says, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So listen to this. Samson catches 300 foxes, foxes, not women, foxes, and he ties them tail to tail in pairs. And once he's got the tails tied together, he fastens a torch uh, to, to each one of them, to the pairs, and then he just lets them loose uh, in the fields of the Philistines. So as you can imagine, these foxes go crazy. You know, they're scared to death. And uh, verse 5 tells us that uh, they burned up the grain, the vineyards, and the olive groves. So in a way, Samson single-handedly destroys the economic base of this entire nation with his, these flaming foxes. But he's not finished yet. After they torch uh, his bride and her family, he says in verse 7, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. Man, do, do you see what's happening here? You know, the Philistines do something, Samson does something. So they respond, and then he responds, but he, he ratchets it up a little bit. So then they do something again, and then he just goes commando on everybody. And so each and every time, it gets a little worse, more serious, more bloody, and he sets into motion this unending cycle of pain and violence. Verse 8, he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Now listen to this. Later on, his own people turned him over to the Philistines. And then verse 15 tells us that he finds a jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men. Verse 18. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Now, I want you to see here that in a way, this is kind of the one time where he actually acknowledges God, okay? At least acknowledges his presence in his life, that the victory didn't come, you know, from his own power, and so God does answer his prayer, and verse, uh, chapter 15 kind of uh, ends on a high note. It says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, if the story had just stopped there, in a way, you know, it, you, it, it'd kind of be a tale of triumph, right? I mean, finally, in the very end, at least in some way, he learns that God is adequate to meet his needs, and so then he ruled Israel and led them in prosperity and peace for two decades. Great, right? However, chapter 16 opens with a very ominous sign. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. 20 years, 20 years, and in one night, he falls. You know, Samson's midlife crisis reminds us that the pull of sin never dies in your life. The pull of your weaknesses, your flaws, they don't go away. And like, like some people in, in midlife, you know, he is doing something here that makes no sense. No sense. He is where he shouldn't be with someone he shouldn't be with, and he doesn't seem to care. And now he is arrogant, and he's feeling invincible, 
This is a recipe for disaster. And some of you have been there. Some of you have been there with a spouse who's gone down that path. It, it is, and, and by the way, for Samson, it's just the beginning. Sometime later, he actually hooks up with yet another woman. And this is the one that you've probably heard of. Her name, of course, is, anybody know? Delilah, Samson and Delilah. So the Philistine rulers, okay, they know all about Samson's fatal flaw, and they come up with a plan. Verse 5 tells us that five of the governors each offered Delilah 1,100 shekels of silver so that she would be able to, the Bible says, to lure him into showing the secret of his strength. Now, 1,100 shekels each in that day would have, mean, would have meant that Delilah is about to become a multimillionaire. So the choice between Samson and silver is apparently a pretty easy one for her. So Delilah's name actually means weakness or brought low. So Samson's fatal attraction is based on sex. Delilah's motivation is based on money, and the Philistines are after power. Everybody look here. That little trifecta right there. Money, sex, and power. It has brought down many, many people. Delilah agrees to trick him into revealing his power, his strength. So Samson toys with her three times. She's begging for the answer, and he's just giving her these little hints or these little clues. But each time, he allows her to get a little bit closer, a little bit closer to the truth. Finally, in verse 15, she says, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? So after playing the, you know, if you really loved me, you'd tell me card, um, verse 16 tells us that she resorted to a war of words. See if you can relate to this one. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Samson tells her everything. He does. The rulers of the Philistine come to lie with, with the money. She puts him to sleep on her lap. He doesn't have a clue about what's to happen. And so as soon as he's sound asleep, she calls a man to come and cut off his hair. And verse 19, it says it very plainly, and his strength left him. And then the last phrase of verse 20 to me is one of the saddest statements in the whole Bible. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't even realize what had happened. You know, too many believers today, they drift away from God and they don't even realize what they've done until they've done it. They don't appreciate what they had until they've lost it. Again, sin will always take you what? What was it? Further than you want to go. You will find yourself doing things that you never dreamed possible. But your sin will find you out, and you'll reap what you sow. You will reap more than you sow. 
So what happens next is ugly. It's ugly. The Philistines have been waiting for like 20 years now to finally get their revenge on this guy. Look at verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. Notice those four things they do to Samson. First, they gouge out his eyes. Listen, those wandering eyes that had always got him into trouble, now he's been blinded. Next, they take him down to Gaza, and that had to be painful because that's where some of this began when he visited that prostitute. Then they bound him with bronze shackles. He is a prisoner. Finally, they set him to grinding in the prison, which was reserved for, it was the work of slaves and animals. So I want want you to hear this today, and I'm going to say it as strongly as I can. If you do not deal with your own weaknesses, your own fatal flaws, you are going to end up just like Samson, blinding, binding, and grinding. Blinding. You will lose your moral compass. Again, you will find yourselves doing things and going places and experiencing things that you would have never done before. Never when you were walking with God. Binding you will lose your freedom. The very thing that you're chasing after that you think is going to fill that hole in your soul, you will now become in bondage to it. And then grinding. You will spend the rest of your life just grinding out your life in this purposeless existence. So now, I want to wrap this up today with some steps that we can take to get off of this road toward ruin and onto the road to recovery. Number one, acknowledge your fatal flaws. You gotta come clean, you gotta acknowledge it. Hey, what is your spiritual soft spot? What's your weakness? What, what area of your life has the most potential to ruin you? You know, like, like Samson, is it lust? Is it anger, revenge? Is it pornography? Is it lying? Is it greed? Is it overeating? Is it drinking? You've got, you've got to admit it. You've got to admit, that, hey, I have a weakness. This is, what, this is what it is. Psalm 38, 18 says, I confess my iniquity. I am, a tr- I am troubled by my sin. Number two, you've got to admit you need help. You've got to admit you need help. If you don't, you will never, ever experience victory. You will never be set free. Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. You know, some of you think that for some reason, you know, well, I don't really have any problem with that anymore. And it's really just because you just swept it under the rug. You hadn't dealt with it. You haven't admitted it. You know, and until you do, Your your flaws will come back to hurt you again, just like they did to Samson, again and again and again. He He is exhibit A of that truth. And then number three, avoid temptation. Avoid temptation. Don't put yourself into situations where you know, you know you're gonna be vulnerable. Listen, if you got a problem with drinking, you know, don't hang out at a bar. You know, if, if, if you've got a wandering eye, you know, don't flirt. You know, get off the internet. You know, get, get, get an internet filter so that you can stay away from those sites that are tempting you. Avoid temptation. 
you know, you got a weakness, you know, with overeating, don't go to the Chinese buffet, you know. Stay away. Genesis 4, 7 says this, but if you do not do what is right, listen to this part, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you have to, you must rule over it. 2 Timothy 2, 22 reminds us how to do that. Again, run. Run away, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. And then number four, Ask for help. Ask for help. It is not, listen, it's not enough just to acknowledge your problem, admit you need help, and avoid temptation. You've got to ask for help. You do. First of all, ask for God's help. You know, Samson finally did this. Let's close with this. The end of chapter 16, verse 28, when he prayed and said, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. God honored this request by using Samson sovereignly to wipe out thousands of Philistines in his death. But don't just ask God for help. Ask for help from others. You know, sadly, when you look at Samson's life, you know, you read this story Everything that he did, he basically did by himself. I mean, you, you never read anything. I mean, you see other, you know, Bible heroes and characters in Scripture where they, you know, muster the troops. And you don't see that with Samson. He didn't partner with a friend. You know, no accountability. No. He it pretty much is just by himself. Don't make the same mistake. You know, you, you see that in every superhero movie. You know, finally it takes this team of, of superheroes working together for the common good. Listen, find a trusted friend. Ask somebody in your life to hold you accountable. Find a Christian counselor. Talk to a pastor. If, you know, we have, we have a great ministry here at Coastal just to help situations like this and people like this. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Listen, come and be a part of that. You see, left to ourselves, it's just a short walk to becoming a Samson. It is. Let me ask you a question. How far can a person go before God says, that's it? What if you get drunk? Is that too far? What if you steal? Is that too far? What if you, what if you kill somebody? Is that too far? What if you commit adultery? What if you have an abortion? What, is, is any of that too far? You know, how, how far can you go before God is going to say, that is it, I am done with you? Listen carefully to me. Nobody knows the answer to that question because nobody has ever gone so far to find out. No matter how far you run away from God, God can still find you and he can bring you home. It's just one step, one step back in faith. Notice how the story ends in verse 30. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. You know the moral to this story? You know, it really has nothing to do with Samson. It has everything to do with our great God. This story is a living lesson in the grace of God. Think about it. How can a man who was beaten, blinded, humiliated by his own repeated stupidity reach the bottom, turn around, 
and discover that God was there all along. There's nothing heroic about Samson. All he did was turn around and find that God was waiting on him. And some of you today need to hear this. Maybe you feel like you've gone pretty far down the road of sin and you are grinding and blinding and binding with your guilt. Listen carefully to me today. Turn around. Repent. Restoration with God. It, by the way, restoration with God, it does not depend on your performance. Now, how can I say that? Because Samson didn't perform. He didn't perform. I mean, think about it. He came back to God before he pushed those pillars down. He came back to God while he was still shackled. He came back to God while he was still blind. He, he, he came back to God. He turned around. God took him home, and God did a miracle in his life, and he wants to do the same thing in your life today. He's just waiting on you to turn around. He's waiting on you to come home. There is no pit so deep that you find yourself in today that God's loving hand can't reach down and pull you out. You just gotta come home. You gotta turn around. You gotta trust him. You gotta cry out to him. You gotta do these four things. Admit, you know, confess, pour your heart out to God, ask him for help, and he will give it. And you can have it today. You can, you can pour out your heart to him today and come home. He will pull you out of whatever pit you find yourself in. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the truth of your grace and your love, your mercy, that God, no matter how far we stray, that if we would just admit it, pour out our, our heart to you, ask you for help and for healing, that you are right there, right there to offer it. But it begins with faith. It begins with faith in Jesus, the one that you provided to, to wash away our sins, to cleanse us of all righteous unrighteousness. And Father, I just pray right now that there are people here in this room, people here who are watching, who have been down this, this road of, of guilt and pain and sin, and they're ready to come home. And if that's you, just pour out your heart, heart to God right now in a prayer, something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, today, God, I admit it. I admit it. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And today I believe, I believe that, that you have provided one in your son Jesus, that he went to that, that cross for me, that he rose from the dead, that he is alive. God, as much as I know how and understand, I believe it, and I put all of my trust and my faith in it. And he is alive. And for the rest of my life, God, I just want to begin to follow him day by day. I want to become more and more like you see me now forgiven and brand new. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.